hope in the Bible is reality. It's not supposition. Behind that hope is a rock-solid joy. I bring you good news of a great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. We hear a lot about joy at Christmas time. As believers, we're given the gift of joy. But is joy the same as happiness? Not according to our study today. Joy is built on a solid, lasting foundation. We'll take a look at that. Welcome to Living a Legacy with Bible teacher and author, Dr. Crawford Lorenz. Crawford has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He recently retired as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. The messages we feature each week come from his 15 years at Fellowship. Crawford has authored a number of books, and among them, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Unshaken, and Leadership as an Identity. Now in retirement, Crawford heads an organization called Beyond Our Generation, a ministry leadership mentoring program. Last week, we looked at the gift of hope, and today, the gift of joy. It's part of our series, More Than We Expected. In today's message, Crawford shows us how joy is rooted in our salvation. Let's jump right in. Here's Crawford Loritz on Living a Legacy. You know, ultimately, I think when most people say that they're, they're looking for happiness, uh, I, I really believe that they're really looking for joy. The search for happiness is a church search for joy. They're trying to get there, trying to find it. And I really believe that the pursuit of joy and the pursuit of happiness, this may sound like a stretch, is that what we're really looking for is God. That's the reason why we get disappointed when we find what we thought we were looking for and it doesn't satisfy. Because underneath all of that, although we don't articulate it, what we're really looking for is what we were born for. And all of the other stuff is just temporary. It doesn't, it doesn't work. When we get to Jesus, we discover joy. Now, I, you know, the, the problem with preaching one message on joy is that the Bible is full of this. I mean, we could go all the way from Genesis to Revelation and chase down the manifestations of joy and all of that kind of thing. But what I've decided to do is, is, is to take a look at the three big things or the three big uh, manifestations or benchmarks of joy in the New Testament. The first thing I want to say is that joy is anchored in our salvation. And that's the great announcement here in Luke chapter 2. Uh, this is part of the Christmas story, and we read this, many of us, every year. But this, listen to these words here in Luke chapter 2. Actually, I want to take a look at verse, verse uh, 10 and 11, but in setting it up, let's pick it up in verse 8. He says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. At the center of this announcement is joy. 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 But there are three phrases around this centerpiece of joy. The first phrase is good news. 
The second phrase is for all the people, and the third phrase is a savior. Good news, for all the people, a savior. The center of that is joy, joy. Why am I joy? Well, joyful, this good news, for all the people, a savior. The first phrase, good news, good news, good news. The good news is, is that you've been found. It is interesting to me, you can read through this, in the book of Luke especially, um, um, joy is associated with salvation. Joy is associated with good news. I'll just give you one, one illustration in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, there are three stories that Jesus tells, one right after another. There's a story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And all of them has to do with joy. All of them has to do with discovery. Uh, the lost sheep, there are 100 sheep, and this one, this one sheep is lost. What does the shepherd do? Every last one of those sheep are extraordinarily valuable to him. He leaves the 99 and says, okay, they're safe. Let me go find this lost sheep. The next one is a lost coin. Now, this coin, I mean, it must have been very expensive. I mean, very precious to this person. They just, you know, just turn up everything. You know how it is that we lose something around the house. Just turn up everything and just go through everything, and they've got to find that coin. And, of course, there's the lost son, the prodigal son. By the way, which is really, really a great, a great parallel to what we're talking about here because the prodigal son thought that his happiness was found in his declaring his independence. He said, Pop, give me my inheritance. And I, I, you know, the money, show me the Benjamins, Jack, and I, I'll have a good time. That's what I want to build my life on. And he gets all this bling and all this money, goes to the far country, and he just has a great time. Wine, women, and song, party central, Jack. And he's having a great time until he runs out of cash and he runs out of friends. And when he runs out of friends. He's got to eat at a pigsty. When he eats at a pigsty, he remember, oh, oops, comes home. But in each one of those stories, at the end of each one of them, there's celebration and joy. The point of the first story, when they find the sheep, that Jesus says, there's great rejoicing in heaven over one that repents. When they find the coin, there's great rejoicing in heaven. When the son turns down the lane and comes home, the father runs to meet him and gives him this incredible banquet. Joy. And notice the shadows of permanence here. Rejoicing in heaven. You're found and you're found permanently. Permanently. This is where you are. It's great joy. So there's joy in being discovered. There's joy in our salvation. There's joy in being delivered. This is good news. And he says, for all the people. For all the people. He had to connect it with his broader context. You know, sometimes we read these stories and we just kind of go over them. It sounds so very poetic. You know, there's shepherds in the field and they get this you know, announcement and this kind of thing. And it's just wonderful. You ever stop to think why he announced it to shepherds? I mean, why, 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 why didn't he announce it to the religious leaders? That would have seemed to be the logical thing. Man, if I was orchestrating this thing, this is the reason why I, no, no, no. If I was orchestrating this thing, yo, yo, Jesus, you know, here's the game plan, man. You know, these religious leaders, they know the history, they know the prophets, they know the Old Testament, right? They know all these kinds of things. So let's announce it to them because, you know, we, they're in a position, we can leverage that position, and this will just, he didn't do that. He announced it to shepherds. 
Did, did, did you know that shepherds, I know that we glorify, you know, David, the great shepherd of Israel and all that stuff. So we glorify shepherds now, but did you know shepherds were like despicable people? I mean, not, not them, but their, their profession. It was not, it was filthy. They, not right. And if you were a Jew and a shepherd, there are weeks on end that you didn't go to the temple. Why? Because you were ceremonially unclean. I think the reason why I announced it to the shepherds and then underscored it, underscored it by saying good news of a great joy for all the people. Shepherds, all the people. He went to the lowly to say that this great news is for the entire world. It's for everybody. I've come to deliver everybody. This is, this is not for a special class of people. I've come to deliver the world. And I show my grace and my mercy. This is good news. And then that third, uh, that third observation here, or, 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 or phrase, a savior. A savior. You know, God did not send a soldier. He didn't send a judge or a reformer. But he sent a savior to meet our greatest need. He sent a savior. Now here, in, although the, the words doesn't say this, the joy and salvation is lodged in humility. What do you mean by that, Crawford? You cannot fully experience joy without personal surrender. Savior. No, Jesus didn't come to help you to have a better life. Don't get it twisted. I find even Christians treating Jesus as if he came to help them get a better life. Jesus didn't come to help us to live a better life. Jesus didn't come to help us to do better on our, you know, planning and this kind of thing. Jesus didn't come to be our personal assistant or our personal coach. Jesus came to be our savior because we were lost and we were drowning. And until we come to the end of, the cell, of ourselves and realize that, no, no, I, I don't have it in me. I can't give myself joy. No, we're the ones that's drowning, and we, you know, we're not, you're not going to argue with them. No, I don't like that color of a life preserver or whatever. Now, this joy is, is anchored in our salvation, and our salvation is eternal. Thus, our joy is eternal. The second thing that we need to see about this amazing joy is that it springs forth from the shared life of Christ. From the shared life of Christ. Where do you get that from? Turn with me back over to 1 John chapter, chapter 1. John is, is uh, introducing his life. I love the way John writes. You know, he and James, uh, I love the way both of them write. They just get right down to business. There's not a lot of you know, filler and setting things up here. And Peter writes this way too. It's like, bam, all right, we're off and running here. And, uh, and so John tells the readers why he is writing this letter, and he tells them his credibility, why he's writing this. It's as if to say, look, I've had personal encounter with Jesus, so you have to understand things. This is not one-off. I'm not telling you something that I heard about, but I'm telling you something that I knew personally. I knew him. So as you walk through this, you see him unfolding. Uh, the, the very first 
part of this movement in verse, verse one, he talks about his personal encounter with Jesus. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Again, John is saying, look, look, I had a personal encounter with him. I'm not telling you something. Look, I, I heard him. I was with him. Personal encounter. And I think by way of implication, he is really setting this whole joy piece up. He's saying, look, your joy is lodged in your personal encounter with the living Lord of history. I saw him. There was personal encounter. And then he says, there's the unforgettable expression. That's verse two. He says, the life was made manifest. Do you, you wonder why he said the life rather than a life was manifested? Now, the life, the definite article, the reason why he uses that is to say the singular life. Life that was, this is the portrait of what life was meant to be. It's shades of perfection here. I saw the perfect life. I didn't hear about it. I saw him. The life was made manifest, the idea fully displayed right in front of us. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you. And again, he doesn't say an eternal life. He says the eternal life. This is what I'm saying to you, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, you know, you, you set this all up. And you go to you say to yourself, John, where are you going with all of this? I, I saw a perfect life. Then in verses three and four, he says, this is the point at which I'm driving. All of this is so that we'll have a shared experience. Verse three says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And don't gloss over that. The word fellowship there is a Greek word koinonia. It is a Greek koinonia, koine. In fact, the, the, the kind of Greek that's used in the New Testament is what they call koine group. Greek, koine meaning common. Koinonia means to share that which we have in common. And, and specifically, fellowship in the Bible in the New Testament means to share that which we have in common so that as a result we become more Christ-like. And so what he's saying here is that I'm writing you these things so that, so that, so that we'll have fellowship, koinonia, we will share together. We will share together in the life of Christ. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now again, I, I promise you this has to do with joy. I promise you it has to do with joy. He says, look, look, our fellowship is rock solid. It's immovable. I saw the life. I saw him manifested. And I'm writing you these things so that you, you might know that you have fellowship, first of all, vertically with God. But also, we have this shared life. The shared life of Christ. When we come together, we meet together, we pray together. And so now we come to the punchline. He says, why are you sharing all of this stuff? Why are you set all this up? Verse four. And we are writing these things so that our joy <laughs> may be made complete. If you look at the text, he's, already, he's, he's, he's described the nature of joy. The nature of joy is tied to that which is rock solid. 
I'm gonna give you three implications from that line. Implies number one, that our joy comes, and I've already said this from our sh- the shared life of Christ. Our joy is tied in a very real sense to the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, you say, well, you just said that it doesn't move. Well, that's true. But I think our joy is enhanced, and we know that our brothers and sisters are doing all right. But I also think this implies that this is the solution for your emptiness. For your emptiness, our emptiness. What, what are you looking for? What are we looking for? Now, I, please don't misunderstand me. Um, joy does not mean that you never mourn. I know that sounds like a contradiction, but that's not true. Joy does not mean that you never mourn. Jesus wept when he heard of his friend, Lazarus, who died. He wept. So I don't hear me as saying that somehow or another joy is a denial of the painful realities of life. That is not true. But here's a bizarre thing. You can be joyful and grieve at the same time because you didn't cave into despair and you know that he's still in control. Karen and I have experienced that. So joy, joy is anchored to our salvation. Joy springs forth from the shared life of Christ. But thirdly, joy is the strength of our hope. If you flip back over a few pages to 1 Peter chapter 1, it's amazing how Peter begins this letter to those those Christians who are being persecuted, who are suffering, who are going through a hard time. And this is, this is underscoring the point that I just made a few moments ago, that, that their joy is not a Pollyanna thing, but these believers are going through a hard time. I mean, they have been, they've been kicked out of Jerusalem. They've been scattered throughout the five provinces of the Roman Empire. Uh, you know, Nero, by the way, is, is, is the emperor, and he was not a good man. And you got all this stuff coming down on them. They got to they eat. They got to find jobs. They got all this stuff that's happening to them. And you go, whew, man, joy. But notice what Peter says. Peter goes back to the eternal reality that cannot be shaken, that cannot be taken away from them. And it's almost as if Peter is, is uh, you, you, can, you can hear the rejoicing and almost shouting with joy as he pins these words in verse 8. Listen to these words. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What are you talking about? Joy is the strength of our hope. The joy doesn't move. The joy informs our confidence. As I've said before, hope in the Bible is not speculation. It's not supposition. Hope in the Bible is reality. But what is behind that hope? Behind that hope is a rock-solid joy. I bring you good news of a great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. And that joy is constant, and it informs your hope. You can be confident, Peter says, because this joy is not going to move. This joy is the foundation of our lives. And so he says, no matter what happens to us, 
we know and have the assurance of faith. I, I gotta tell you, when I, I read this text, I was thinking about that. I, you know, uh, Karen and I spent 27 wonderful years on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ Now called Crew, and uh, part of that time in the early years, I debated on campuses with folks, and I believe in apologetics, don't get me wrong, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful gift to the body of Christ, and knowing the reasons uh, for the hope that is within you, and being able to share, and this kind of thing, uh, I think it's great. You know, and, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, you can argue from intelligent design, ontological argument, all these other arguments and whatever uh, for the existence of God, and I think they're absolutely wonderful, 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 wonderful. But at the end of the day, we know what we know because we have experienced the God of the universe. So that's the reason why Peter could say, you, you rejoice with joy, that is inexpressible and full of glory. Don't, don't, don't read that as if that's some poetic throwaway line to end off the sentence. No. Peter is referring to the nature of the joy, the divine nature of our joy. We rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Why? Because the joy that we have carries with it the weight of eternity. Carries with it the weight of God. You have been permanently made right. That's why Paul was like, who can separate us from the love of God? What are you going to do to me? You're going to come drag me out of this prison here, and, you know, this jail? And you're going to cut my head off? Well, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What are you going to do? This joy I have, the world didn't give it to me, the world can't take it away. What are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to me? Too many Christians are duplicitous in their Christianity. We have trusted Jesus as our Savior, but we have chosen other things in this life as our source of joy. And we have committed idolatry. He wants to be our source. The Gift of Joy, the title of today's message by Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy. Here again are those manifestations of joy that Crawford talked about. Joy is anchored in our salvation. It springs forth from the shared life of Christ. And joy is the strength of our hope. Now, maybe as you were listening, it became evident that you don't have this supernatural joy found in Jesus. Having true joy begins with giving your life to him, confessing your need of forgiveness, and committing yourself to the one who died for you, paying the penalty for your sin. Now, if you'd like help in making this life-changing decision, here's a number to call right now to speak with a caring person, 888-NEED-HIM, 888 888-NEED-HIM need him. Come to know true joy this Christmas season. Call now, 888-NEED-HIM. Today's message was part of a series called More Than We Expected, and next week we'll look at the gift of love as we continue in this Christmas theme. If you missed out on part of today's program, you can hear all of it on our website, livingalegacy.org. Living a Legacy, all one word, livingalegacy.org. Look for the past programs link on the left side of the page. Our weekly teaching programs are also available to download for free. Look for the MP3 link on the website. Take a moment to let us know how God uses Crawford's teaching in your life. 
Our email address is legacy at moody.edu. For Dr. Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.